CoinRow Plus is your new way to collect, manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRow Plus at CoinRowPlus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store. Welcome to the Coin World Podcast with your host, Jeff Stark. And as I've said from day one of this show, this is a big tent hobby. There's a lot of room for folks. And Larry Jewett. And learning has been such a tremendous amount of this journey. The Coin World Podcast. Well, the Coin World Podcast is back once again, and we are glad that you are joining us here today because if you weren't joining us, you wouldn't be hearing what we had to say. And we'll start off with the most inconsequential part, and that is I'm Larry Jewett. And I'm Jeff Stark. Um, but the most consequential part is that uh, there's several, you know, there's hundreds uh, of folks listening along every week, and we appreciate it. Uh, this week, we have something really fun to talk about. Lots of things, fun, lots of fun stuff to talk about. But we had an interview with Blake Donan um, to talk about Vault Box. And this is the second release of Vault Box. And I will say, uh, just right off the top, when the first one came around, I was, you know, I was, I don't want to say skeptical, but, you know, collectors are so uh, focused on specific, you know, I'm, I'm collecting, whether it's all stuff with Statue of Liberty or I'm building a Dayton and Mintmark set of, uh, you know, Walking Liberty half dollars or whatever. So the idea of the randomization of, of what's in your package that that kind of seemed to be at odds, and it's um, you know, it, it wasn't that um, I uh, had a, it took issue with it. I mean, hey, you know, I say every episode, Big Ten hobby and all that, right? Yep, at the top. Yep. So, yep. Uh, but anyway, so it was fun to to it's fun to see how that first release went and got so many people excited in and out of the hobby. And now they're back and we got to talk, uh, Larry and I got to talk to them and, and learn all about it and hear sort of a prelude to some of their future plans. So you want to stick around and learn more about that. It's it's something that has, again, the potential to reach outside the, the mainstream, the, um, you know, uh, th this is a, a big industry and hobby. And there are a lot of avenues or paths uh, that people can take into it and through it. And it's just one more one more way to do it. It's it's certainly, um, you know, let's let's get people in and excited. And and once they're in, we can, you know, hey, you like this now? How about that? What's behind door number three? So yeah, yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, the intrigue that goes with it. I mean, I obviously the results speak for themselves from series one, but having heard about it and uh, seeing a little more information about it at the fun show in January, you know, I really like the concept because of the day and, and again, the connection to uh, other collectible industries where, you know, as a kid collecting baseball cards or that type of thing, it was just kind of like, you know, you knew the gum was going to be in there. That's the first thing you threw out. <laughs> but uh, what were you going to get, you know, with that and to have the idea that now this just ramps it up a little bit. And uh, Blake's going to tell us a little bit about how, you know, how many people that were numismatists are involved, how many weren't. I, I like the idea because, I mean, as collectors, we're always seeking something. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I come from the school, I come from the era, actually, when there were prizes at the bottom of cereal boxes. Yeah. So, and you never knew, and same thing with Cracker Jack. That's how it got its point, because it had a prize inside. 
and I think the vault box has it, it's got three prizes inside actually. So, yeah, you know, I I, I say this because I think it's funny. I don't think it actually applies to you, but you're so old school that it was a one room schoolhouse. Yeah, pretty much it, and the phone was on the wall. So you know, <laughs> you, you that's just the way it goes there. right there. But we're not going to give away too much of that interview here. But I believe the concept, and uh, you know, know that. Uh, we're in the midst of a pre-sale, but there's, uh, you know, a chance that getting at, if you've got Series 1, getting Series 2. If you didn't, Series 2 is your place to start. And uh, just really neat. So we're glad that Blake took the time to be a part of it. And we're glad that you're listening here today. And and hopefully you're going to stay with that. So yeah. thanks for being on board with this. Is It's uh, it's really great to hear from, from our listeners on the podcast as well. Oh. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Yes. Before you get to that, I want to say uh, it's it's particularly, um, I think, resonant. Uh, you know, first off, we didn't you know we didn't get paid to talk to Blake. This was all, hey, let's talk to him about it. This is what's going on. We want to make sure that we're uh, sharing information that uh, is you know things the, the the community talking amongst itself and all that. Uh, but the day uh, that we are talking and recording this, uh, I got an email. But we get so many emails, people pitching, you know, they want to get experts on the show or in the the magazine. And um, this, you know, Vault Box really has a connection to the trading card, sports card side of things. That was that sort of the inspiration. So I found this email interesting and I wouldn't normally mention it, but in this context, it works. And there's some lessons that can be applied to numismatics. Um the, the email was pitching to get uh, chief editor and casino expert John Isaac at some online gambling website to share his expert insight into buying and selling in the sports memorabilia market. Uh, they're, they're using the hook as uh, Michael Jordan's record sneaker sale, $2.2 million uh, earlier in the week. As sort of, you know, Isaac shared his five top tips for investing in sports memorabilia. And there's a lot of transportability or transferability. Uh, there's a applicability in what he's saying uh, to, to, to coins. So I want to share that real quick. His first tip is opt for classics. Classics never go out of style. While people may be reluctant to go for an item with an extremely well-known name attached to it, it will always be valuable and most likely become even more valuable over time. Um, they're talking about sports players, but in this case, what would a classic be? Well, maybe it's a coin with a fantastic provenance. It's, it's a Eric Newman collection. It's Garrett collection. It's one of those, um, in an ancient coin space, it's, uh, you know, one of those collections that is, gives name to a book or series of books that are the, you know, the pinnacle reference for that, um, that subject matter. Uh, speaking of the books, uh, his number two topic is always do your research. Uh, these items don't always come cheap, so you got to do your research around the authenticity of an item to make sure you spend money wisely on the deal. Uh, I think that goes without saying in numismatics. I mean, if you're buying a $5 coin, uh, odds are that it's fake is, is you know, pretty low, but not not zero. And but if you're buying a five thousand dollar coin, dang it, you better be on on watch because there's um, you know, there's plenty of fakes out there. That leads to number three: ensure your items are genuine. This talks about a certificate of authenticity uh, that can indicate in, if the autograph is legit. I I kind of think of uh, a line from Tommy Boy, which I don't know that I can say on a family podcast. <laughs> 
Um, but, um, you know, certificate of authenticity, well, what transferability or how does that translate in numismatics? Obviously, that comes into the third party grading aspect. Uh, you want to make sure that there's a group of experts have reviewed it and given their, you know, imprimatur of, of uh, you know, they, they've they've spoken that the, the uh, tribe has spoken. They've deemed that this is good. And, um, you know, online, there are some great outlets where people share reports of items that are fake or in fake slabs or the fake is you know, the, the item is fake and the slab is fake. And, you know, there's a whole community out there of folks that are cooperating to ensure broader knowledge uh, about the many attacks that are that are coming our way as collectors. Uh, the the fourth suggestion was search for rare items, uh, something rare will you know the rarity will give the item a lot more value or could uh this does make it a little more difficult to find but it could be uh extremely rewarding and then the final thought was look for immaculate items buy items that are pristine or museum quality well what does that mean i think in numismatics it's buy the best you can afford uh buy if if you know you're Gosh, you know, you're putting together a, a set of AU-53 uh, peace dollars, you know, you might have to compromise on a couple of those key dates, but get the nicest you can get. And, uh, you know, not all, not all 53s, not all 62s, not all whatever the grade um, are equal. I mean, that's why we have the all the third party designations and the certified acceptance corp green bean and gold bean you know there's all these qualifiers that that of course these days can be affixed to the items so make sure it's good for the grade and um you know then then you're going to have a, a better financial return if that's and that's certainly you know i don't think that should be anyone's motivating factor but you should be aware of it right and you know if you're going to sink a lot of a lot of money uh, into it, you you want to make sure you're um um you know you're you're not just throwing money around willy nilly. So I I thought that was particularly apropos as we're talking about um, the impact and the the sort of crossover appeal from sports cards and sports memorabilia to numismatics uh, with with uh, Blake in just a bit. Well, and I think that's very relevant too because as you know, trying to Maybe you've done all your homework and, and established how you function in another collectible field, then that's going to make the bridge to numismatics a little bit of, you know, an easier take like that. I think Bill Gibbs said it best or when he uh, announced the editorial director's position that, you know, even though I don't have as much numismatic knowledge as some of the rest, but I'm gaining it, but a collector, you know, a collector from the automotive side would have a little bit of a connection and an understanding and, you know, toward the numismatic side of things. And I found that to be very true. And as a former sports card collector, as a kid, you know, and stamp collector and all that. Yeah, there is uh, some ways that you can bridge the gap, so to speak. And that makes the transition in numismatics not near as daunting as one might think it could be. Yeah. 
there's definitely a collector's gene, if you will. And there's, there's been many words uh, spilled on exploring that subject. So, um, yeah, anyway. Um, hey, so that's that's all the uh, the fun stuff that I had before we get into the uh, this week in numismatic history. And but I have I hold on here. Hold okay. on here. I, I have one thing. And uh, yeah. and that is because you had you talked about an email that you got or a, a message that you got. I got one, too. Got one yesterday. As a matter of fact, I want to give a shout out to uh, listener Eric S. Head from Knoxville, Tennessee, because he uh, responded with regard to my uh, 0531-2020 note that I was talking about last week on the uh, on the episode and gave me a connection to a birthday note matcher. And so now I think I might be able to put my special note out there and get it in the hands of somebody who has a little bit of information. It was, uh, it was a connection that I didn't know anything about, and I now am informed, and that's what we rely on our listeners to help us in this journey. So thank you to Eric S. Head from Knoxville, Tennessee, for the email. Absolutely. And uh, I'll uh, share another reader message in just a bit when we uh, get up to date on trivia. How about that? That so, works. In any event, uh, one of the uh, the joys uh, every week is looking back in time and finding out what was going on. I had a particular delight, I guess, in looking at uh, this week's finding out what what happened this week in numismatic history well that um, I, we go back to in your lifetime april 13th 1976 that's when the new two the bicentennial two dollar federal reserve note was introduced on thomas jefferson's birthday i didn't realize it was tj's birthday now i, I mean i've heard about was it he and john adams who died on the same day july 4th 1826 yeah. yes uh, so, but, you know, so I, I have that in my memory. I didn't have his birthday down as April 13th though. So you, you may recall that, um, uh, that actual launch from back in the day, that was a little before my time, but I did find that interesting, um, because, you know, you hardly ever see twos anymore. Uh, I was with family, I think it was not too long ago and, Somebody said, oh, you know, I've, I've got a $2 bill. Those are real rare, right? And I, no, not really. <laughs> There's plenty of them out there. So that was that was what jumped out to me for this week in numismatic history. Um, yeah. <clears throat> good and place to start. It's a good place to start. Well, then, then you know, I got thinking we're, uh, we're going to 1986 for this week in coin world history. Chose that because that's the year... Uh, the first year for the silver American or the gold American Eagles, I should say. And, uh, you know, the American Eagles are instrumental in the vault box concept right now. And we, we looked at the uh, April 16th, 1986 issue. And this was, um, I gotta say, I don't remember seeing this issue before, but it's one after my own heart because it's all about the Statue of Liberty. Uh, as you may recall, uh, I certainly vaguely remember in the sense of you know i was six and a half at the time ish uh that was the centennial of the statue of liberty 1886 1986 and there was a nationwide celebration that of course manifested itself through three commemorative coins um there's a really neat little medalette that uh is abundant in 
uh, in the hobby. I, I, I can't paw through junk boxes hardly without coming across one or two or a dozen. Uh, these are little pieces sold by Sears that were struck using copper removed from the exterior. There was a big push in the early 80s um, as as they were trying to, you know, refurbish it and get it all nice and sparkly, shiny new, uh, notwithstanding the green patina. But uh, th they were cleaning it up anyway and doing some work on it to get ready for the centennial. And some of that copper was harvested and used in making these little metalettes. Uh, they're a one to three dollar item. Uh, they're very common, very, but it's neat and it's, hey, it's a relic metal. It's a very affordable relic metal. Uh, if you don't have one, you should look for one. That's a great little gift to give somebody in your family or in your circle of friends or acquaintances. Uh, you know, you you talk to somebody and just, hey, you know, if you're proselytizing for numismatics, you say, hey, how would you like to own a part of the Statue of Liberty? And here you go. You hand it to them and and you say this was actually made with the metal. It's uh, to me, it's a fun little thing. I should do that more. I should start hoarding them uh, and and distributing them. I will challenge myself to that just as I have challenged you to. So the issue is all about Statue of Liberty, Statue of Liberty commemoratives and who was selling them and uh, all sorts of stuff, all the different metals that exist. I've got a, a nice little grouping, but nowhere near. Uh, there's some just fantastic stuff out there. One of the easily obtainable neat world coins for them is the series that France did that year as well. And there's there's regular strikes and PA fours. That's a double struck, double weight. Or I should say a double thickness, not double struck. Uh, although if they're proof, they of course were double struck. Uh, but those those come in multiple metals, silver, gold, and platinum, I believe. Maybe I'm missing something, but I know of those three anyway. Fun, fun little piece. And um, of course, celebrating that connection between France and the United States. That's what jumped out to me as somebody who has a small but growing Statue of Liberty related uh, collection. A lot of the letters on the letters page were about the very same thing. And there was some that were upset and some that weren't. First letter I want to focus in on says, receives statue coins. I ordered one uncirculated three-coin set of the Statue of Liberty Ellis Island commemorative coins and one set of proof coins on November 21st, 1985. I received the uncirculated set on February 8th and the proof set on February 22nd. On December 11th, I ordered the two-coin set, one each of the uncirculated and the proof. I received the uncirculated set in late February and the proof in early March. What service? I took my time reading the order form and sent in registered checks with the proper amount for the sets that were ordered. The Mint did a beautiful job in minting and engraving and in delivery. My hat is off to those uh, to Representative Frank Annunzio and the U.S. Mint for the fine job of servicing the coin collectors. I hope Mr. Annunzio didn't increase the gold mintage. I'm a collector, not a wheeler dealer. Keep up the good work. Well, apparently, uh, we've got to kind of step it up here because I just got a warning that uh, I apparently don't have the same type of program you have when it comes to recording uh, our podcast. So uh, I'm, I'm operating on a limited time schedule here. We got to hustle. 
All right, let's go. Uh, you know, I, I want to give a shout out to, uh, we talked about um, the listener email or communication. Dave Nelson last week after the episode dropped was quick to reach out to me. I want to thank him uh, because I asked you about the Hall of Fame of Great Americans. Uh, and I mentioned that that's in New York. I had I've been to New York you know, 15 times or whatever and have never been. Uh, so Dave reached out and said, you know, he lived in New York for quite a long time, I think 20 or 30 years, he said. And um, uh, he um, he noted that the Hall of Fame of Great Americans is actually on a commemorative coin. That happens to be the George Washington Carver half dollar. So uh, thank you, Dave, for holding us uh, to account for that. I totally swung and missed on that one. But the trivia last week was about the Hall of Fame of Great Americans and their medal series, because I obtained one recently. And I wanted to know how long did they issue medals and how many medals were made? And, um, you know, bonus, if you can tell me how many different designers or sculptors rather were, were involved in that project. Do you have any idea whatsoever? It's my turn to swing and miss. No, I don't. Okay. I, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to try to cheat on this one. I'm just okay. going to move on. So uh, the, the program ran 13 years. There were 96 medals and 42 different sculptors were involved. I think I also asked you about an artist who was commissioned to design two of them and never, uh, never completed that work. That was Laura Garden Frazier. Mm. Uh, she was to design medals for Mary Lyon and Gilbert Stewart, but she died before completing the models. So sculptor Carl Grupa, that's how you pronounce it, finished the medals uh, as close to her designs and styles as possible. So that was the trivia last time. Good effort in any event. And I got to thinking, you know, we, we talked to Blake and about vault box. Well, I thought about a different kind of vault box, and I think of a cornerstone. So... There's said to have been a cornerstone at the uh, a certain U.S. mint, and there are two unique coins that apparently were placed in there. Or, or, I'm sorry, there are two coins who are unique other than any pieces that may have been placed in this cornerstone. Uh, no other examples of these two coins have uh, thus surfaced besides the unique pieces that are available today. And presumably, if they're still in a cornerstone, wherever it is, there's been lots of efforts to locate it. So I want to know, what are these two coins? And and of course, if you can tell me that, you can tell me at what mint, because I want the date and mint mark for this. So gotcha. uh, that's a the cornerstone, fun little bit of trivia. Um, think about that. You know, we don't get into that with Blake, but uh, there's a lot of other good stuff in our discussion with Blake. So uh, give that a listen right now, would you? The Coin Rub Podcast is delighted today to be joined by Blake Donan, who's a managing partner of Vault Box. And boy, what an interesting concept. And uh, it's it's not too late to jump on board with that. There is a uh, round two coming up next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, Blake, you know, it's it's a great opportunity to talk to you. I was fortunate enough to talk to Lee Minchel down at the Fun Show in Orlando, and uh, I got the lowdown on that one. So I feel like I'm actually informed on this, but 
Series one has happened and series two is on the way. Uh, can you give us an idea how this idea came about? Yeah, actually, uh, you know, I mean, I've been a, a collector of random things throughout my life, but especially during COVID, um, you know, I was obviously I had more time at home and I was watching. Uh, I'm big into sports. I really love basketball. I love Formula One. Uh, when I was younger, I used to collect sports cards and Pokemon and stuff like that. And uh, I was watching a lot of these breaking uh, events that are really big in cards right now, where essentially they open up sports card boxes during live streams or different social media events and people participate in different ways. And I was watching it and I really got into it. You know, I was especially in Formula One, I was chasing my favorite, my favorite drivers And I was thinking a lot about the coin business in general. And one of the things that I think uh, coin dealers, you know, see as an opportunity is to figure out other ways to bring in youth, you know, figure out how to make it different or exciting to get them engaged, um, exciting in different ways so that we can show them what some of the cool aspects of coin collecting or numismatics might be. And I thought, you know, it would be really cool if you could open a box and not necessarily know exactly what was in it and find you know the equivalent of what they would call in cards like hits different things you know either you know rarities or things with different values um and i thought that'd be exciting so you know i i went to lee it was funny i I was down at his office and uh, i said lee you know i i got this idea i'd love to talk to you about he said you know blake i i really i have a lot of you know, things going on on my plate and we get ideas all the time and I don't have a ton of time. I said, listen, I'm already here. You got to give me five minutes. Let's talk about this. And so I talked to him about it and he said, well, I think that's a pretty good idea, but let me bring in Ballas, who's also one of the partners and Ballas came in and uh, he said, you know, just, you know, Ballas almost always says no. So don't be offended. I said, no problem. (laughs) So Ballas came in and I told Ballas the idea and Ballas said, well, I kind of like that idea. And we brought in a couple other people and it, and it went over really well. And that was kind of where it started. And it was a very raw idea in the beginning. And, uh, you know, I knew that, you know, the Minshall team in general, this is what they're great at. And we could figure out how to collaborate together and kind of bring it to light. And, you know, it evolved over the few months. We had a bunch of different things that we came up with. Some were good, some were not so good, but it allowed us to get to, you know, essentially series one. And, uh, you know, we, we are excited about it. I mean, it's, for me, it's really lit the passion all over again. Um, I love trying to create things and try and figure out other ways of doing things and collaborating with people that I, you know, admire, I appreciate, I look up to. Um, and, you know, I've been able to get a little bit of all of that. And the fun part is my family too. I have a young family and they're all excited as well. So it's been a great experience thus far. There's a lot to be excited about when you consider the concept here. And of course you had to push it by imbalances and no guy, but, uh, Mm -hmm. did you have any problems getting the grading services on board with this? Sure. So, you know, obviously, uh, Lee Minshall and, and their team has a great relationship with NGC, um, of course, they had questions about, you know, how we wanted to go about it. And, and one of the things that I found that we all really thought was really critical was how do we make sure that people know that they're going to get a fair shake? So one of the things in sports cards that a lot of the times different sports card breakers get accused of is, hey, they have the most followers, they have the biggest following, and therefore they get the biggest hit boxes. Like somebody knows and gives them the best 
the best cards because they want to use it as a marketing ploy. And, you know, that has a real negative connotation in the sports card breaking industry. And we really wanted to try and move away from that. And so having somebody like NGC, you know, be able to really help us establish that credibility, having them not only grade and authenticate every coin and make sure that it, you know, meets some kind of QC, but also to randomize and package uh, the coins so that it keeps it completely random. And, um, you know, Andy Salzberg and their team, you know, they went back and forth a couple of times, but they've been very helpful to us. I mean, they're excited about it as well. And they've been a great, you know, asset to us and making this happen without them. I think it would have created a lot of additional obstacles that would have been tough to overcome. So I want to explain for somebody who's maybe not familiar with the concept vault box and we're getting into uh, number two here, vault box second release. Um, there's, it's a box sealed box with three encapsulated graded coins in that. And they can be gold, they can be silver, they can be platinum, uh, but they're all graded, as you said, uh, by NGC, and there's a randomization factor to it. Um, first, I mean, th that I think you'll agree with, right? Yep, absolutely. And, <laughs> and then how important was it to, um, you know, especially as you thought about trying to reach outside of the main numismatic markets, how important was the development of the NGCX grading system was, did this come along, did their system come along because of the plans for VaultBox or was VaultBox sort of waiting for something like that to be developed, whether that was NGC or PCGS or any of the other players? Yeah, so credit to NGC, they had been working on developing uh, the program prior to us, I think. Uh, we helped to speed it along maybe a little bit more and, and put a little more pressure to move it forward. Um, but they had been, you know, thinking about doing something. They hadn't come up with the name NGCX yet. And, uh, you know, when we first talked to them about kind of our idea, it felt like a great fit. And the reason it felt like a great fit is because if you look at sports card grading, comics grading, uh, video game grades, they all use a 10 point scale. So we were really trying to figure out how do we get people, not just the traditional numismatist who might look at this and say, hey, you know, I would prefer to pick out which particular coin I want to get. I don't like the randomization factor, which is fine as well, but figure out how to get the person who maybe doesn't know necessarily about coins, but, you know, might be interested except for they don't really know where to start and kind of, you know, how to go about it. And this would remove one barrier to entry. So they already understand, let's say in sports cards, because they collect cards, they already understand the 10 point scale. And therefore, you know, us using the 10 point scale opposed to the traditional Sheldon scale, it would make it much easier for them to understand. And they feel like they could get excited along with it. And, you know, part of the reason that we have, so in each of the boxes, you know, we have these things called red core hits. Part of that was to distinguish which coins are, maybe either a series rarity or more valuable uh, to the person who doesn't necessarily know about coins. So they would know, hey, I got a red core and therefore I must have gotten a hit. And that was another way to call it mm -hmm. out. So in addition to the grading, them already understanding it, the red core would also help them to establish some kind of value to it. 
And I think another aspect too, because it's total transparency when you go visit the website and you can see the coins that were involved in series one so that you know exactly, I mean, the chances of getting an, a really big hit versus a, a quote unquote common coin, which in and of itself has value, especially if you're a new collector, because it gives you a starting point in which you can go on. So every coin has maximum value to the buyer. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, you, you touched on a very important word, the transparency. That's something that we over and over when we have meetings amongst ourselves and we're planning for stuff, we come back to transparency, 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 because, and we don't want to just throw the word around and not really, you know, put it out there. It's important to us. This is important. We are trying to build a long-term brand that is going to stick around for a long time, not a one and done kind of, you know, blip in the market. And hopefully we'll be lucky enough to do that. But part of it is going to be transparency. And people don't have a problem with companies making a profit. I don't think that's an issue. They want to know that they get a fair shake, they get a good value, and that, you know, we do what we say we're going to do. And so everything we try and do comes back to that. Like, are we doing what we say we're going to do? Are we being transparent about it? And are we be providing good value? And that's what's important. And I guess I want to ask, um, I, I think I understand a, a function of that. One of the ways you add the transparency uh, or and or support for this longer term is there's a buyback component or element to this so that if somebody buys this and says, ah, I really, you know, I'm not thrilled with what I got, at least I can sell it back. How does that work? Yeah. So the instant offer program, that was another aspect. And, and again, that was really targeted for the people who don't know anything about coins. So they open up their box. Now they have these coins and some people either they don't want to deal with selling it at a third party. They don't know how to sell it at a third party, or they just want to know, Hey, what is this worth today? If I wanted to get rid of it. And so we started the instant offer program. And basically what it is, is you can go to our website, you can go to the instant offer uh, webpage and you can type in the serial number from the graded coin and it will give you an instant offer amount. So, you know, let's say that it says, okay, we'll pay $150 for this coin. At that point, you can choose to either sell it to us, which you would ship to us, and then you get paid out right away. Or you can say, okay, you know, now I know it's worth $150 at least, and I want to try and sell it elsewhere. And then maybe come back and sell it at another time to us if that doesn't work out. Or you just wanted to know and put it in your collection. And you can even add it to your collection within our our website as well. So you can go there, log in and see, hey, these are all of my coins. And this is what the instant offer amount is today based on the market. So, And I think that's another aspect that has the appeal from when we were talking about the trading cards. As a kid in the 60s, early 70s growing up, it was a case of I got two uh, Felix Mantilla perhaps and uh, somebody needed one and I could just simply, uh, hey, I got one, you need one, you got two what I need. I think you're going to build a community as this continues. Yes, that is what we hope for, actually, is that eventually we'll have enough users where we can have a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, transaction going on and people can share their collections, they can trade within their collections, they can sell within their collections, and hopefully we'll be able to bring that together. You know, we have a lot of things on the roadmap and that's definitely one of them. You know, first we need to figure out how to crawl, then we walk. Then we jog and then hopefully we run, you know, but um, I think that that would be an amazing aspect if we could get there. So, you know, I, I, like Larry, I grew up 
uh, collecting sports cards, in, in this case, baseball cards. And, of course, my sort of formative years were the um, uh, around the big rush of the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> era. And um, so, you know, I, I definitely recall going to uh, a couple of shops that existed then here in St. Louis and, um, you know, being part of the throng of kids that was really interested. So it was, it was totally common and understood for me to, you know, you buy a pack of cards, you don't know what you're going to get. You know, you're going to get eight or 12 or 20 or whatever number of cards is on the outside. How does that concept, how has that transcended, um, you know, maybe the, the coin collector who's building a, Dayton Mintmark set, you know, it, it seems that it's a totally different collector. Have you bridged the gap at all? Uh, do you have any evidence of that? I certainly have seen a lot of support in mainline numismatic um, arenas for this. Not that I didn't expect it, but it, it's, you know, okay, great. A lot of coin dealers are, are involved in this, buying and selling. But what about a new segment of the market, which is sort of what this is pitched to what do you know about what kind of reach you've had and, and how that's worked? Yeah. So, uh, you know, we had, uh, we did a survey after series one, uh, released and, you know, series one, we had some issues. We had the website crashed. Uh, but once it was back up and live within five minutes, we sold out. Um, and you know, one of the things that we believe being a young company is that we need to make sure that we are open to change, that we're listening to the feedback and we need to ask for it. You know, if we make a mistake, we need to not just pretend like it didn't happen and sweep it under the rug. We need to put it out there and we need to get feedback. So after series one, we sent out an email, uh, an actual survey, and we invited people to participate. And we knew that, look, we're going to get some great comments. We're going to get some okay comments and we're going to get some scathing comments. And that's just part of the game. And overall, I'll tell you that the two, we had a couple of biggest, the biggest complaint was by far the website crashing. And hopefully we solved that for series number two. Uh, the second one was that they didn't get a box and they wanted a box, which is unfortunate as well. Uh, you know, hopefully we're offering double the number of boxes for series number two. Hopefully more people will get the opportunity. Um, but we at, also, one of the questions that we asked was, how many of you have purchased coins before this transaction? Um, and we had about 85% of the people had purchased at least one coin prior, but that means that 15% of the people were brand new to the industry. Hmm. Now, after series two, it'll be interesting to find out how many of the people that purchased in series one and were brand new to the industry, then again, went ahead and either purchased series two or have purchased other coins uh, since. And we're hoping that we can kind of bridge that gap and get people interested that normally would not be, you know, the person, as you mentioned, the person who normally says, Hey, I need, you know, this year and this mint mark to fill my set. This is likely not necessarily the product for them. It doesn't mean that they couldn't also do this, but if they're a really disciplined, strict collector that only buys exactly what they need, then this would be difficult for them. I would assume to want to do it. Now, the person who says, Hey, I really like either I just like coins in general and I don't really, you know, mind the mystery of it or, hey, I really like modern, you know, commemoratives or I only like modern or I like vintage US or, you know, all the things that we're going to do in the future. And maybe they only participate in those particular series. Um, You know, I think that we're still going to get a fair amount of people that are in a numismatics 
anyways participating. And, you know, it's kind of, I, I was speaking to my wife about this and I said, you know, when I travel with my mom, she likes to have an itinerary. She wants to, this is the time we wake up. This is the time we go to lunch. This is the time we go to this activity. This is the time we go to the train and so on and so forth. Right. I'm much more like, Hey, I know I'm going to Europe and I'm going to be here these days. And maybe I have one or two things kind of planned that I want to do. But other than that, I like to wing it. The unknown is part of the fun. Mm. Uh, and I think that that, you know, translates into this as well. The unknown is kind of the exciting part of what am I going to get? What did I have in my box? I think that's the fun part of it. There's no question. That's a fun part of there's a lot of fun parts to it. But the idea of not knowing exactly what you get, I'm kind of like you. I mean, sometimes the best experiences are the ones you weren't playing. But I mean, I, I remember the old hologram cards and all the other different things and, and the joy that came with not knowing. I mean, it's not like a case. I bought that card. I bought the chance to get that card. And that's right. the same thing you've got right here. Apologies if this has already been covered, but uh, is there a set frequency for the series that's come out? Even so, I think it's an important part. So, yeah, I mean, look, if it was up to us and it was, uh, we're working out some logistics stuff, it was up to us, we'd be releasing, you know, at a minimum once a month would be great. Uh, for year number one, we set a stretch goal of eight releases. I think realistically, if we got off four to six, it would be pretty strong. Um, we're, you know, figuring out, kind of finding our way as far as, you know, what are some of the obstacles with each individual series or, you know, when we move into different segments, what could be the possible obstacles as far as, hey, we're moving into a vertical or into, you know, uh, a specific genre of coins that maybe isn't as readily available. Uh, and we're kind of working through some of that. We have some other ideas on the you know, on the table that after series two, we're going to discuss um, that will hopefully help us to, you know, speed up and expedite the process of putting together the boxes. And part of that is probably going to be building several series at the same time so that we can have, you know, one ready as the other one's coming out and so on and so forth. Um, but I think realistically in year one, if we could get off six, I, I would be very happy with that. And, you know, in the future years, hopefully we can figure out Again, how do we make this faster, make it more efficient uh, and, you know, get them off? Because it is a long waiting period, you know, three months in between series one and series two uh, is a fair amount of time, you know. And for us, we want to make sure we're driving the engagement in between and that it's not cooling off in between. Uh, and I think the easiest way to do that is just shorten the window. Well, well, you just said three months, and now I'm doing the math here because I know it came out in January, February. So that means series two is really close. Yeah, yeah, we did January 25th was released a series one. So we're a little under three months this time, uh, about two and a half months. And, you know, I think that certain series will be easier to do quicker and other ones will take longer, you know, and, and, you know, part of what goes into that is obviously, you know, it takes a lot of capital to put together these boxes. So it's not like we could just have unlimited series on deck waiting because there's not unlimited capital as well. So, you know, I we're working through that stuff. I have an idea, though, and, and perhaps I'm, uh, you know, jumping ahead of you here. Um, right now, everything I have seen suggests that these are all U.S. coins. Uh, but, you know, if you want to expand the the offerings, there's a whole world of options. As, as a guy who writes about world coins, I can't help but think of 
the many, many, many cool coins that are coming out there, both in a bullion and a collector sense. That's just the new stuff. Then you have 2,000 years worth of stuff. Is What kind of uh, talks are there, plans are there to, to move into some of these other areas, whether that's modern bullion, modern new issues, classic issues, ancient coins, some of that stuff? I mean, I, I'm sure those pose some of those problems you talk about, but uh, you know, you're keen to work through them, I imagine. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so one of the boxes that I, I am excited to do, and we're, again, we're working through some of that stuff is I think some of the modern bullion is really cool, you know, and, and it really, it, the idea came to me because I was, I took my son to a local coin shop and we were looking at coins and they had these really cool, um, Ibero Americana train series coins. Mm. Uh, and they're from, there's like eight different countries throughout, uh, Europe and South America that they had done, uh, these cool colorized train modern coins. And I was like, it'd be so awesome to do a box with maybe not, you know, originally I said planes, trains, and automobiles, uh, different kinds of colorized coins, but all of the world coins, I mean, some of the new immense stuff, some of the, the Pope joy and the, uh, you know, I mean, there, there's cool, you know, some of the Canadian colorized stuff. There's some amazing modern coins that I think would be really cool to do. And a less expensive box, you know, really maybe even geared more towards children or a youth kind of um, target. And it could be really fun. Do some of the, you know, the DC comic stuff, the uh, Capcom coins, the um, Star Wars. And I oh. mean, it's really there, limitless. There's so many cool options. You talked about yeah. the Ibero Americana series. That was, uh, I think it was sort of spearheaded by the uh, Spanish mints. Yep. And there's, you know, there's everything from, you know, Central South America, Cuba, and and the Spanish um, homeland did, that did those. But, you know, Canada and some others, they've, as you know, planes, trains, automobiles, my gosh, you have, you have dozens of options if you went yeah. that route just in stuff that's been issued in the last 30, 40 years. Yeah. Right. As you then, said earlier, Blake, you know, you want to crawl, then walk and then run. So, exactly. I mean, that's uh, obviously we don't want to turn you into a marathon runner right off the bat here. But uh, I mean, that, those are all good ideas right here. But another thing too I want to talk about is the fact that even though these are not going to be uh, often seen on a, a coin dealer's shelf, the idea that the the box that they come in is something that a collector who purchases, who purchased series one or purchases series two, can have a little pride in having that on their display because the packaging is is a noteworthy factor as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you know, Adam Holt on our team uh, did an amazing job with the packaging. You know, he designed it uh, from start to finish. And I mean, he killed it. I, I got to give him props for that. Um, you know, he's really got an amazing eye for it. And he's been, you know, very instrumental in, in pushing forward a lot of this stuff, not just designing the package, um, but he's been a big asset to the team, you know, and, um, you know, kind of in addition to, you know, what Jeff was saying about, uh, the, he mentioned vintage and ancients and so on and so forth, you know, we're absolutely going to do that stuff. I, you know, I, I think most likely one of the next upcoming series, whether it's series three or series four is hopefully going to be uh, vintage silver dollars, uh, which I think would be amazing. You know, Morgan's, maybe we get some bus dollars in there trade dollars. Uh, you know, I think we could do some really cool stuff with that. And, and that was one of the number one things that actually people asked for in the survey. Uh, we're absolutely going to do an ancient box, uh, which I think will be great. 
Um, you know, we're going to do vintage gold, you know, pre-33 gold, which I think would be amazing. And U.S. and foreign. I mean, I think that there's obviously a big market and some really cool coins, you know, for foreign as well, as well as, you know, we want to do a treasure box where we have shipwrecks and gold nuggets and cool things like that. I mean, we have to try and almost follow the in and out model, right? Like we need to focus because there are so many directions to run. And I think if we try and do 20 things at once, it'll likely end up that we don't do anything great. But if we just try and do, let's try and do three to five things at once and focus, I think we'll do a lot better. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of the challenge because it is exciting. It's like, okay, let's do this and let's do that. But, you know, we got to focus. Okay. Well, I am uh, focused on the launch of uh, Vault Box 2. I believe it's uh, April 18, 19? 19. 19. April 19th at April 19. 9 a.m. Pacific. Okay. Yep. And, and so, you know, I, I will say when I went to the World Money Fair in Berlin this year and, and before was talking to some folks and they were asking about this. So you've caught the attention of folks around the world. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm I'm a traditionalist in the sense of, you know, I look for specific things that that meet these characteristics and all that. Uh, and so maybe I, I wasn't as quick to give it a fair shake as I should have. Uh, but it certainly got me sort of pausing and, and reflecting and, and giving a, giving you guys a, a second chance and and thinking, hey, you know, this is new and different. It's something that, uh, you know, I'm all about, and I say it in the intro to this show, it's a big tent hobby. You don't have, you know, if you want to do this, great. If you don't want to do this, great. I'm never going to yuck anybody's yum. So uh, I'm interested to see how this goes uh, here uh, next week and uh, expect it's going to be another rabid demand as in, uh, series one, and then we'll see where things go in the future. And maybe you can get that four to six, check those off the rest of the year and, and see what, uh, what new product lines develop. Love it. Yeah. And I, I'm on the opposite because I was, I was on board from the get go when I talked to Lee back in January, but I was one of those ones that you would have got the nasty gram from because I didn't quite make series one, but that's okay. I get that. I understand. So, uh, you know, looking forward to the, there's a launch on the uh, on series two there coming up in uh, April nineteenth. But Blake, one one thank you for the time and the information you passed along for us. Give us that website again. Yeah, so you can go to vaultbox.com. That's v a u l t box.com. And uh, like I said, April nineteenth, nine a.m. Pacific. And we welcome you know the feedback either way if you have it for us. And you know I I appreciate you know, you being honest about, Hey, maybe I didn't give a fair shake up front and now I'm maybe a little more open to it. That's all we ask, you know, be open to it. And we understand that, you know, everyone's going to have a different feeling on it and, you know, we're going to do our best to deliver something great. And that's all we can ask, you know? Awesome. All right. So we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Thank you again. And uh, maybe we can get you back um, for the, the, when you do the, the ancient coins one or something, we can talk about that maybe in a year. Sure. We'd love to. It'll All be right. before a year. Lee's okay. pushing hard for the ancient box. So it'll be before <laughs> of course. A year. Oh, yeah. Caesars. Yeah. Oh, yep. All righty. Thanks so much. All right, guys. Thank you. That was our discussion with Blake Donan of Vault Box, all about Vault Box 2. Uh, it's coming out uh, just in days as you're hearing this, hopefully. And uh, we're excited to see how that goes and uh, future releases, as you heard us talk about.
Yeah, and it's interesting too, and checking over the website and seeing all the different red cores he was talking about. It's just like, wow, this would be neat to have. Most of those are, I mean, definitely coveted material. Be great to have one of those right there. So, you yeah. know, check it out, find out more information about it. We appreciate Blake taking the time here. And again, this uh, relatively, it's the re resurrection of, of an old concept where people, you know, bought sealed packages and took the chance of finding something of value in there. Yeah. I personally had an experience with a uh, with a collectible trading card and uh, in the racing form that allowed me to make a little bit of the uh, a little extra revenue off of it. So I, I had a positive experience there. So we'll and, have to see what Vaultbox does. We we would be remiss if we didn't mention we didn't get into this with Blake in the interview, but they even have a bounty uh, coming out now for the the first two people who put together complete silver eagle sets that are. Um, that come out of the vault box with the specific labels and all that. It's kind of like uh, some of the grading services did several years ago with the W quarters to be the first and all that different stuff. It's another fun little twist, little element uh, just to get people talking, you know, the, the financial benefit, you know, it, it's hard to, we can't divorce the financial reality of the hobby because uh, it takes money and, and we, you know, like to build sets and collections that have meaning and, and objects that that are meaningful. But obviously, there is that um, monetary sort of side to it, and that that that's a a neat twist that you you know how many times do you buy a pack of baseball cards and the company says, hey, if you put together a set, we'll buy it back from you. That that's a little different, little uh, neat element uh, added to to the program. So, uh, in any event. Um, yeah, the card guys only get a checklist, and the checklist ended up in more more packs than uh, anything yeah. else, I think. So I I remember those, and you try to, you know, I mean, gosh, I, I like I said, I grew up in the uh, the heydays, the late eighties, the upper deck, the all that, the beginning of the end of the 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 sports card era before this modern revival. You know, the last I'd say what ten years, maybe. I don't, somebody correct me on that. If I haven't really followed baseball cards sports cards much um and you know other than i'm in a, a facebook group or something and see people posting their unique unique um, uniform polls or autograph polls or this or that and you know people trading show haze and so on and so forth it, it's a it's a fun little area again it talks about you know it, it it reinforces the idea that the collecting is uh transferable those uh you know, the emotions that we experience, the thrill of the hunt, uh, the reward, all that, regardless of what you're looking for, uh, we just happen to like uh, coins and medals and tokens and paper money and all that good stuff. Indeed. And uh, whatever your collecting journey is, hopefully you're having some success in finding the things that bring out the best in uh, what you're trying to accomplish here, no matter what it what it may be. But uh, there's certainly uh, little items that can cause you a lot of joy here. And that's why we do what we do. And it could be anything from uh, something that you've been looking for for a long time. I remember my days of the Florida quarter. And uh, something that you just happen to discover like these uh, these items that we've had here recently. So no matter what the situation may be, thank you for being part of our Coin World podcast. And in the meantime, happy collecting. Thank you for listening to the Coin World podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next week.
CoinRow Plus is your new way to collect. Manage your inventory, digitally authenticate coins, create your want list, buy and sell coins, and much more. Learn more about CoinRow Plus at coinrowplus.com or download the app now at Google Play or the App Store.